Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. The text this evening from Romans chapter 5, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. This is our text. You may be seated. Well, just imagine that you'd walked into church tonight and instead of the cross above the altar, you saw hanging there instead a hangman's noose. Or imagine there was an electric chair bolted there up on the front wall. What would you think? Who put that there? What kind of a prank is this? And yet the cross, an instrument of torture, a tool for execution, is the heart of our faith. And we shouldn't think of it as looking like the one that was seen in a bookstore window once with a sign, this beautiful gilded crucifix on easy terms. The cross did not come with easy terms. It cost Christ his life for us. So the cross is kind of a strange place to look for renewal. Renewal implies a new beginning. Calvary signals an ending. Renewal implies hope, new possibilities, and new ways of living. The cross implies death. Yet if there is hope for renewal here, there is hope for renewal anywhere. If there is hope for renewal in a dying thief, there's hope for renewal for anyone, including you and me. There is hope for you here in this church tonight. No matter what you may have done in your life, there is hope and forgiveness here. We need to learn how to pray the prayer of our brother, the publican. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And tonight we pray the prayer of our brother, the thief. Jesus, remember me. First, let's consider when fear is appropriate. To fear God is not always bad. The dying thief on the cross first needed to feel fear of God, terror toward God. He knew then what he had spent his whole life avoiding. That life is lived in the presence of God. It doesn't matter that the world, our friends, our family, co-workers, says that something is right or wrong, good or bad. God alone matters. 
When we realize at a moment of decision that we are in God's presence and that our choice will show either that we love God or that we love the world or ourselves, that is a good fear. It is godly fear. It is the only voice that our sinful desires will hear. How many times have we needed to say, I cannot do this, for God is present. I cannot sin against the high and holy God. That's fear. And it's a good fear. Maybe the reason that so many people have no fear of God is because we moralize in our lives. Thinking that Christianity is really just heavy doses of shoulds and should nots. We think that Christianity is just keeping the Ten Commandments. But we can't keep them. We fail utterly and must look to Christ who kept the law perfectly in our stead. And he alone now gives us, as forgiven and empowered people, the grace to let the fruit of the Spirit show forth in our lives. Perhaps the proper fear of God is missing because people avoid listening to that still small voice that hovers near. If only we face up to our personal, apart from everything and everyone else, confrontations with God. All the reasons fell away for that thief, as they will for us, when death, that completely personal experience, is faced. But we can't wait until then. For us, this Lent is a time for renewal of godly fear. But fear alone is not enough. The thief was filled with godly fear. Fear of God. But he needed more than fear. For in that fear, if it were only fear, he would soon die forever. So let's look at fear as slavery. Fear is not to be our master that takes us captive and keeps us there. Much of the resentment against legalistic religion, you know, one that's mostly rules and regulations, is actually well-founded. For it operates with fear as its motivation. When fear of God remains only terrified fear, then guilt, failure, and sin are never removed. Neither consciences die, or people break free and enter another slavery altogether, living without the proper fear of God. A pastor tells of a woman, the happy and efficient wife of a fellow pastor, who is experiencing her full share of life's sunshine and shade, but no real darkness filled her way. 
Then, without warning, her husband died of a heart attack, leaving her terribly alone and afraid. Afraid of her own decisions, afraid of the present, afraid especially of the future. When the pastor went to visit his colleague's wife, he found her in the vice-like grip of fear, so tyrannized that most of her time was spent in bed. She was so terrified that she became bedridden. When that pastor saw her about two years later, he was pleasantly surprised to find a poised, serene woman working as a receptionist in an insurance office. When the pastor asked her to explain her amazing recovery, the woman replied, well, the work helped, of course, but I couldn't work at all until I faced my fear and saw that it was basically a selfish rebellion against God and what I thought was God's will. When I saw that, I began to pray that God would forgive my selfishness. And as I prayed, I became aware of God's hand reaching down to me. And the Holy Spirit moved me to reach up in faith until I finally clasped that hand. And then, to my amazement, I found his hand clasping mine. And I knew that he really cared and that he would help me as long as I held his hand in faith. So let's consider fear conquered. At first, the thief on the cross tried to transfer his fear to Jesus by reviling him. Now, in the grand reversal of that transference, hope dawned. If this man, Jesus, is innocent and yet is dying, and, and if I'm guilty and dying, well, I know why I'm here. But why is he here? Could God be here? in order that my shame and guilt might indeed be transferred onto him? But how? The thief couldn't get off of the cross and place his life onto Jesus' cross. He was nailed down and dying. He was helpless to act. He couldn't save himself. He could do only one thing. He could say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, not my sins and guilt. Remember me. Be here for me. Die here for me. Let your kingdom claim me. Are those also our words tonight? Then the promise comes to us as it came to him. I tell you the truth. Today, 
you will be with me in paradise. The load of sin is lifted. The guilt is gone. The fear also is gone. Now he could enter the presence of God with only this on his lips. I am guilty. I am not worthy to be called your child. But Jesus died for me. He gave to me the promise of paradise. And soon that thief would hear the voice of the Father. I know you. You're mine. Come, blessed one. Enter the place prepared for you from eternity. And God says that to you here tonight. No matter who you are or what you've done. I know you. You're mine. Come, blessed one. Enter the place prepared for you from eternity. See, the thief is not the exception. The thief is the rule by which you and I live and die and live eternally. The rule of grace and mercy that is by faith in Jesus Christ. So finally, let us look at fear as awe of God, as sanctified reverence. How will you spend the rest of your life? That thief spent what little time he had left in his life, perhaps the four or five hours before the soldiers came to break his legs and speed up his death, living in a new kind of godly fear. It's called the godly reverence, the awe of living in the Lord's presence. His cross became an altar of praise. Jesus promised the kingdom to that thief, and he learned godly fear, the awe of God. That's the other side of it, to know and believe that we live in the presence of God and of his kingdom now and for eternity. That's the gift of paradise. Paradise isn't just something we claim at the end of our lives. It claims us now. Paradise opens when we commune at the Lord's table. For there God focuses his presence because Christ is there. Paradise opens when we realize that God is present to be revered in the decisions that we make, in the people we serve, in the work we do, and in the friends we love, and the families where he's placed us. Paradise now is not only heavenly bliss, that'll come in God's good time later, Paradise now is the realization that we live in the Lord's presence at all times and in every circumstance, that where we are, God's holy name is present to be revered, obeyed, and celebrated. Godly fear, true awe of our great and wonderful God is the heart of the faithful one, you. Exclaiming with joy, Lord, you remembered me. 
Help me to remember you. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.